Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Past history would be the time and this point in time when I would introduce Andrew Henderson from the UK, Jay Truett from USA. Turns out Andrew's mom has a birthday. She's 86 today. And he apparently thinks it's more important to spend time with her than us. So we got a relief pitcher. You decide if he's mopping up or the closer. Is that right? Greg Dowd, the once regular contributor? The once. Also known as the ambassador. The ambassador. Ambassador Dowd, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, I'm a poor substitute, but we'll, uh, we'll do what we can. <laughs> I think, I think we should just ask him to speak in a slight Scottish accent all day, though. <laughs> <laughs> Could you be and, like Andrew? <laughs> right. Slight Scottish just, do it, so. Yeah. That's why I yeah. said I'm a poor substitute. Keep, keep, keep saying, keep saying words that we don't understand and then remind <laughs> us that they're in English. <laughs> like a plunker <laughs> yeah it was i i i was just laughing this morning when i listened to your uh yeah. your early show i thought holy cow that andrew he's convinced that we don't speak english at all or we don't have any understanding of english but i love the guy you got um, so Jay, happy I'm, birthday, a con- mom. I'm a little con- yeah happy birthday mom i'm a little yeah. concerned at the offhanded comments you made when you learned that you just learned. We surprised you that Greg mm-hmm. Dowd was going to be here. But you said, oh, my goodness, that means we're going to talk facts today. Yeah. We, we talk facts every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Greg will hold our feet to the fire, though, right? I, well, I don't know about that. I listen to this show. That's 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 a pretty big stretch there, Trent. We hey. can't we can't skirt the edges of reality. We have to like stay closer to the center line today. I know. <laughs> uh, reality is that this, ironically, maybe it's because Greg was going to be on a roll route, but Robobank came out with a report. I guess it was yesterday or last night. I found it this morning that said 2022 beef numbers globally are going to be tied to us alone. The slaughter cow numbers are up by six percent we know that many portions of the west were really droughted out and and i don't know if you heard about this jay china has suddenly become our third largest exporting nation i don't know who had a hand in that but all of this is posing some interesting questions for the beef complex in 2022 anything to that greg doubt yes it is I, what I what I'm about to say here, I don't want to make c- come out the wrong way, but you know, people do pay me now to give speeches, and this is most of what I talk about. Time out, time. Whoa, 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 wha, whoa, 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 whoa. In case you misunderstood, there is no payment for your time served here today. Yeah. Just, just to be clear, <laughs> there is getting it's ready time to be served. Time served is the appropriate uh, the appropriate <laughs> discussion. No, so I mean. But no, Greg's right, right? I mean, I've seen, I've seen, and and uh, a bunch of the context of his speech. Uh, he won't say it, uh, but you kind of alluded to it. Greg was uh, one of the people 
that was uh, uh, responsible for reopening a bunch of that trade and a bunch of uh, components where we could sell things to China. Uh, the United States is tickled to death to, to, to buy everything in the world from China. Uh, but we really didn't have the kind of access into it, in, into that marketplace. Now we do, and it's starting to matter. Well, here, here's the deal, guys. I was wrong. I was way <laughs> off. Well, then I won't feel bad about not paying you. Yeah, because yeah. I told my boss and, and my colleagues at USTR, I said, this is a billion-dollar deal if we get – USB fully flowing into China. And it's a heck of a story of how we got it all done. I thought we would sell China a thousand tons of US beef a week once things were fully up and running. And I, and I thought it would be a billion dollar market. I was way off. Guys, we are selling China today in excess of 3,000 tons a week. It is triple what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And and the key here's the thing. I thought it would be a billion dollar market. If you look at where we're at right now for 2021, if you add China and Hong Kong together, it's going to be closer and probably right at two billion dollars. Yeah. Say that's just a win, right? Right. I mean, now, isn't it? People people want to say, well, this is uh, you know you're you're causing inflation and beef prices in the United States. The answer to that is not really because what we're selling China is not what U.S. consumers eat. We're selling a lot of variety meats. We're selling a lot of short plates and outside skirts and other things that we don't typically eat in the U.S. Who who eats those items? Japan and South Korea mostly mostly Japan. And so what's really fascinating to watch is the price of short plate in the last six months has doubled. Mm-hmm. And that is because the Chinese are competing with the Japanese for the same cut. It's really been a remarkable thing. And on, on we can debate the cattle thing, but it's really simple, Trent. We've been fighting uh, oversupply in the front end of the market for a year. And it goes back to the fire. It goes back to covid we are about to clean up that front end supply here. You see what cash cattle are doing, trading around 140 in the north now. Uh, get ready. This thing is about ready to get a little interesting on the cattle side of the market here in the new year. No question about it. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing. There, there's some serious healing that needs to take place. Sure. But, you know, it's kind of like I, I've never experienced anything in this in my lifetime, and I know you two haven't either. Um, we've never seen a better bumper crop with higher prices across all commodities that we're familiar with in the Midwest, and including uh, pig prices at a record level, cattle prices with the optimism, and yet everybody's scared to death about what's going to happen in 2022. Nobody's really yeah. confident in saying we're in a great place right now. Well, I, I think that fear is justified if you look at the world around you and, and everything going on with regard to inflation, with regard to the fact that, you know, this COVID thing is still kicking around, with regard to what China is doing geopolitically, with regard to what Russia is doing geopolitically. Um, you know, I, as we sit here and talk with the guys that I work with now, which are four military guys, three of them were classmates at West Point. And you sit down with them, Jay, and I, you and I have had these conversations for years. You sit down and talk geopolitics. It's more than just a little scary. And and so that, that fear, that nervousness is justified. Mm. What's your recommendation for that? 
um, you know, just kind of keep your head on a swivel here a little bit. Don't, don't, uh, you know, when, when the markets reward you, put a little bit in your pocket and, and keep moving on. And, uh, you know, the, the great debate that we have here is on the input side of this thing on fertilizer prices on glyphosate. Will this thing begin to kind of turn around and heal itself up by the time we get to springtime or, or is it, uh, is, is crazy as has been advertised here for the last few months? I don't know. That's the point. It's, it's hard to predict these things. And I do think oh, that's, that's right. part that's of why the, we bring Jay, the great yeah. predictor. Yeah. <clears throat> No, but I think that's part of the anxiety, right, is that we, you know, when you really look at what's gone on in the United States, we've, so we've experienced inflation, obviously, every year uh, of some sort, uh, and and in different categories, but um, it has been a long time, and we have actually produced an entire generation of people in this country that really probably can't remember personally um, the impact of inflation. And for some of us who are, are just long enough in the tooth that we can, we can remember what happened in the, in the, in the late seventies and the, and the first part of the eighties when inflation rocked us. Um, it, it sends a really unsettling tone through it. I mean, the good thing now is that we're not doing it at the same time that we're paying 10, 13, 17% interest, right? But, um, the, it, I think people just get anxious when, um, uh, when they, there's no way to really, uh, look at the future and, and, and make any kind of realistic prediction about where you think things are going to be. And, and part of that stems from what's going on in Washington. But honestly, is there a world leader on the stage today other than the two communist leaders, um, sadly, that seem to be truly competent at their job. And I think that, you know, I think that that breeds some, some unsettling feelings for people as well. There's nobody doing a better job for their people than Putin at the moment. And nobody in the United States wants to hear that, but that's a true story. I have to go to a break. Speaking of beef, we want to talk about niche marketing. Now this is not going to be the commercial sector. This is a niche marketing opportunity to get paid appropriately get closer to the consumer's food dollar certified piedmontese creates that opportunity lone creek has put that together based out of lincoln nebraska if you're a great plains cattle producer and you're interested in getting a 180 dollar ticket over the market price and contact lone creek cattle company about the certified piedmontese system back with more greg dowd jay truett after this welcome back Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside Jay Truitt. Home, homing down in Missouri these days, like a nomad, you never know where you might you, be you know, next. What I've where? noticed, Trent, about Jay is that he looks like he works at the sale barn in Joplin, Missouri now, which is yeah. really remarkable how he's, you know, Just, kind of retroed right back into, you know, to, where he back to my roots. Back to oh, your yeah. Roots. Yeah, Jackie Jack- Moore and I still hang out all the time in the morning and just drink coffee and talk bad about people that we know. Mainly Greg Dowd. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say people that you know and people that you don't know. So it doesn't, uh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I assume Joplin Regional Stockyards is still going 
balls to the walls and just doing yeah. wonderful things. Yeah. No, I, I mean, several of those markets in that area have, have like stepped it up, right? They are mm-hmm. doing a better job. And I, it's, it's kind of fun to see. It's always sad to see some of the, the small local barns, you know, that can't quite compete with the, uh, with the volume capacity. Um, turn into something different, but, uh, but that seems to be working as well. Listen, there's a transformation taking place in, in big chunks in the Midwest where we've seen, we're starting to see some real transitions and it's going to have an impact in a lot of those areas. And maybe this is part of what makes it a little bit unsettling too. And I, and I know this will like seem offensive to people, but if you've ever lived in an area that is transitioning to a Mennonite and Amish community based in selling direct to markets elsewhere, that changes things. It just does. And um, they they do things differently, right? And we are, uh, whether we like to admit it or not, uh, before we went on air, I was griping about this hotel that I'm in, right? And it mainly it's because it's just different than what I'm used to. Uh, that's the main thing that actually just honestly makes you wake up in the morning and just be angry a little bit. But the... But the truth of the matter is uh, what I see, what I see some of these people in those communities doing are really smart things. I'm watching guys that are setting up laying houses that sell directly to markets in California uh, that are targeted markets. Um, You've got sponsors on the show that are looking at trying to move people closer to the, to the dollar. Well, the people that get left behind out of that or that don't participate in those things or can't figure out how to, how to, how to adjust to whatever the new dynamic is, it, it leaves us, and I put myself in that category sometimes, it leaves us a little bit unsettled. And I think that's part of this. I've been driving across the country for a couple of days, and I'm going to do a, a few more days of it just to like see a bunch of the United States. I'm doing my own uh, uh, rise tour here, right, Trent? It's just me. It's not a bus. You need a bus driver? No, I, I don't get anything nice and fancy like you. I'm drinking out of a cheap hotel uh, coffee cup. Uh, I don't have a cool hat. I didn't get any of the banners or any of that, but I just wanted to see some of what's going on in America as well on my way to do uh, to do a couple of speeches and, and talk to some people scattered around. And it, it is a bit it is a bit unnerving um, to to sense the uh, uh, the anxiety that people have. Uh, well, it's real. Jay, Jay, let me let it's me tell you. At Aimpoint Research, this is what my boss has made a living talking about is he gives a speech called Farmer of the Future. And it is what a U.S. farmer looks like in 20 years. And he, the whole presentation is geared towards this notion of we are going from a three-step to a st- two-step supply chain here where there are going to be a lot of people eliminated in the middle of that. Right. You just don't need them anymore. And, right. it, and that transformation, that transition is already occurring. If you talk to people on Wall Street, you talk to people in hedge funds, that's why the amount of money being invested in agriculture and venture capital is ginormous. Everybody right. sees it coming. It's in the, we are at the cusp of a major transition in agriculture. And if you are not aware of this, if you are not unsettled by this, that probably means you're somebody that's going to be left out. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think there is something to that. And I think it's kind of interesting. I, I sat down with, uh, again, um, uh, one of the leaders of the Amish community in, in southern, the southern half of Missouri the other day and talked to him just about some of the things that they were doing. And, 
And here I am, I'm sitting down with a guy that I think most people in agriculture would say, hey, listen, they've got to, they've got to do this or, you know, they don't do any of this stuff. He, he came to the meeting in a carriage, right? Uh, and we sat down on a wooden bench out on in front of a, an Amish store to have the, the discussion. But his target market is a housewife in uh, South Central um, California that's willing to pay $9 for eggs. And so, and he's got that keenly burned to in, into his brain. And there's only one person between him and her. And he understands that, right? And he's been able to figure that out. And he was willing to do whatever it took in his production model to meet that end user's needs. I, is all of that stuff sustainable? That, well, the future will tell us, right? I mean, how does it play out? Well, in the middle of those one, things. There's one depending well. There's one very depending factor and everything working in what you just described. That woman, that mother, housewife, whatever you want to call her, the purchaser of those eggs in Southern California needs to be able to continue to afford to buy the eggs at that price or the whole thing breaks down. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. That's, and, and, and this was all forced. So what, what I struggle with is, this, what you're alluding to, and in case people didn't put the dots together, is Prop 12 goes into play in California January 1 of this year in like 30 days. And Prop 12 says that all egg, milk, meat, and egg producers around the nation who sell products into California need to meet the same ridiculous standards. By the way, the word right. ridiculous was my amendment. Ridiculous uh -huh. standards that California put on their own producers. And, and it's all going to lead to inflation, whether you like it or not, because people are revamping their barns. I say let them starve, because what happened was the ignorance of the California voters said, we're going to tell the farmer how to take care of their animals, which they're not the expert. The experts are the farmers. But kudos, and I have no, no ill will against anybody who tries to meet that standard. I just think it sends us down a very dangerous path in food production. Oh, I agree. Yeah. But people people will try to like what Jay's talking about. We'll try to meet that standard, but it's going to take several years for the supply to catch up with the demand. It's going to cause yeah. enormous inflation. In the meantime, there are going to be some store shelves that are going to be empty. And, and I think we're, I, to me, sometimes it's better to let it wreck than to try to save it. Yeah. For everybody to see well, we're, the, we're gonna wreck that the real world of consequences of things like this. And, and I think, you know, the marketplace will sort it out. Supply will adjust to meet the demand, et cetera. But uh, it doesn't happen overnight. And, and the shock in the middle of this thing is going to be tough. So, yeah. Greg, I want to back up because these two topics are tied together, even though they may not sound like it. You talked about China and how China's ramped up, particularly consumption of beef, purchase of U.S. beef, which they didn't previously do. It's kind of like the egg situation here. Somebody was already buying those short ribs, those short plates, and they're not getting them now. So that level of competition is amped up. So somebody's without. Is that just Japan? And what are they doing? Because we're not well, producing more beef. We're producing less. Well, and, and so you have higher prices as a result of that. What What's really going on in China is very interesting. So the, the way those of us in the meat industry, here, here's the way I've kind of galvanize the discussion is there are about 10% of Chinese people that are buying U.S. beef. That's 140 million people. That's the same population as Japan. That's half the U.S. population. Who are the Chinese that are buying U.S. beef? They're young, single people going out on dates. 
and eating at restaurants. And what do they like? They like the Korean or the Mongolian style barbecue, just exactly what the Koreans are doing, a lot of similar to what Japan is doing. But here's the key. When they go out to eat and, and do that, what do they want? They want the beef with the white fat. Yeah. That's, That's a us. very different and unique product in the world that we all know that there are only a couple places in the world that make that. Uh, the U.S. makes it. The Canadians make a little bit of it. And the Australians make a tiny bit of it. But when the Australians make it, it's mostly yeah. locked up and go, all going to Japan. Just, so just for transition make, takes place, this is a big new market. Suddenly, Jay, I feel like an English translator because <laughs> Greg is speaking in terms that people may not follow. White fat comes from grain-finished animals, not grass-fed animals, which is the, the world around produces grass-fed beef. We have our niche in corn-fed U.S. beef, and that's what we cannot lose. Yeah. And once, you know, that's what I, as I visited with these guys, I said, look, this is the Mercedes-Benz of beef. Once you get and your consumers get a taste for this stuff, they're going to want it. And what we the conversations we were having about is just to make sure that they understand that it's safe. And here are the food safety regulations that we have in the U.S. This is how we do what we do. Hundreds of our hours and hours and hours of conversations between the U.S. and China about how the U.S. food safety regulatory system works and helping them build the confidence and to understand how our system works. Once you got over that hurdle, everything got a lot simpler, but it, it took a long time to literally, it was a translation of this is how we do it. We know how you do it, but this is this, when you do business with us, this is how it works. And by the way, here's one little tiny uh, By the way, you can't do that. ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping your property rights oh. intact. I was waiting for the right time. Second half of Rural Route just ahead. Write it down. You'll forget it, old man. I got it. <laughs> Back in three, two, one. Welcome back, Roll Route. We tried to take a quick break because, you know, Greg and Jay and I are getting old and we forget our points. Greg, so, so, <laughs> you have I'm, one I'm point left. In, I'm going to stick in my one final point. To, and, and, Jay, you were alluding to this with your egg example. But the Chinese, they want to lock up supply and demand. They don't want to be exposed to the vagaries of supply and demand in the marketplace. They want to have a long-term relationship with who they're doing business with. That's... That's how they assure safety and trust in the system. This is where the Chinese system and the U.S. system come to uh, friction. It's because I explain very simply the Chinese, who do U.S. suppliers and agriculture sell our product to? Trent, who do we sell our stuff to? The highest uh, purchaser. The highest bidder. And right. to China, that is What? You sell it what? No, you sell right. it to who you have the relationship with. No, we sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah. Well, or you uh, could say it a different way. You could say we only have relationships with the highest bidder. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. So right? let, let me take this on a different angle for a little bit because this is uh, becoming an axe in my craw. So we're talking fondly about China and how they're buying our products and adding value, which is everything we want to do in food production. <clears throat> I was in Oklahoma in March because 
we know that Chinese individuals are buying land left and right in Oklahoma. I got a call from Georgia poultry producers. Chinese individuals are buying farms left and right. We know that one third of U.S. pork production is owned by a Chinese firm uh, based in Hong Kong, to be exact. And now th- this whole Yellowstone craze is starting to really concern me because people don't seem to pay attention to what's going on behind that. You know, it's cool that uh, we got Buster Welch and Barry Corbin on Yellowstone in this year's season kickoff, but the Chinese right. just bought the four sixes. They're trying to buy RFD TV. They're trying to buy the NFR. They're buying all of these Western culture items. That's all Chinese money, folks. So at what point, Greg, are we happy they're buying our stuff, but at the same time, they're just about to own us, period? Well, Trent, don't feel unique because they're doing it everywhere in the world. They're buying ports all over Africa. They're buying ports in Russia. They're building roads. They're building infrastructure for countries so they have relationships. That's the whole point. They want to lock up and tie up relationships around the world because they know they need commodities. They know they need raw materials. They know they need metals, foods, etc. They don't want to be exposed to vagaries of supply and demand in the marketplace. They want to lock it Mm. up and tie it up. And this is what they're doing to do it. So they're going around your idea of the highest bidder. That's what they're doing. You say, you think you're going to sell the highest bidder. We're going to be the only bidder. I think uh, I actually think there's uh, something much deeper that 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 also goes into this, and I and it is that literally that, um, and we saw this a few years ago. Uh, we've talked about it before, right? But my family has in, uh, I have interest in a construction company that builds residential homes uh, on kind of a, a scale that we sell them in blocks at a time uh, to people, and one of the things. One of the things that we noticed when we first started that business was that there was, uh, uh, at that particular time, there was a bunch of Russians that came in and they were pulling money out of Russia and they were putting them in real estate investment trust and funds that, that bought lots of residential housing. Um, now Chinese funds, uh, funded funds are doing the same thing. And when I talk to the people that run those funds here in the United States, they tell us that. Every day somebody calls them trying to get money out of China. They just want the money out of China. And where, where in the world do you go to put it? If you want it to be uh, safe that you can still use it and get to it and it can buy something that'll have value later on. Well, no offense, but you don't go to Yemen and Ethiopia and Somalia to do that. Um, You go to places that, that you think that that, that when you put that money someplace that it'll still have value in the future. The United States is, um, uh, despite all the negativity that we, you know, that we discussed even from the beginning right here uh, and the unsettledness in the United States, we're still the best bet around the world. And so if you're going to buy land in the, in the world, where would you buy it? That you weren't, that you were, you were the least worried that someone would just simply take it from you. Is that a concern in the United States? Yes. But rank us uh, in the, with the rest of the world, and I think you'll find that we're number one. And, and so it, it, right. it almost is, it is what it is. And I think, it, I think my personal feeling it, from what I've seen is that we're just repeating the, what was once a Japanese move to get money out of Japan, um, that was later a Korean move to get money out of Korea. 
that then was a move when Russia moved money out. Now um, it's China's turn. But now let's they're be not careful. buying government debt. They're buying private stuff that they can make money from. But Jay, we've got to be careful here. And I want to try and I want to delineate this. I don't know that this is mainland China money. I think a lot of it may be Hong Kong China money. Trying to get that, as Jay's just exactly what he's describing is the Hong Kong folks are trying to, because of what's going on between Hong Kong and China. Yeah, but the only thing that's different, Jay, in my mind, compared to what you described with Japan, and I think about that because growing up as a kid in the 70s, we heard about Japan buying everything, and Japan's going to own us. But And that kind of subsided, and now they're our number one trading partner in terms of export dollars. That Japan was not buying ports around the world. Japan did not have parliament in Australia say you can buy no more land. In 2015, when I'm in Australia, parliament actually told China you can buy no more land in Australia. They are buying it everywhere like they want to control the world and control their supply of need, of the essentials like Greg walked through. I think that's a game changer and makes it different than anything we've seen before. I would agree. I would, I would agree, agree with that. I would too. agree as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I I just think that uh, my my uh, my dad used to laugh, um, and uh, when somebody from uh, the big city would come out to the country, you know, and they bought that place next to us that we really wanted to buy ourselves, but they outbid us by a hundred or two hundred dollars an acre, right? And we'd yeah. stretched as far as we right. could, and he would shake his head and he goes, "I guess we'll uh, we'll buy it in a." In a, in a couple of years when they go broke. <laughs> yeah. And we did. Right. I mean, that was, that was the plan. And he goes, thank goodness for all that new money they're infusing into our local economy, you know, because they'll come in and they'll build new fences and they'll hire the people that nobody else would hire and they'll spend too much on equipment and cattle and, and et cetera. And then they'll go broke and then they'll, they'll go do something else. And, and maybe, you know, uh, I always just kind of think it's just new money. Right. And uh, there it's not that much different. I, I do agree with your concerns. I think it's something to measure. You know, most states in the United States have laws on foreign ownership. Um, yeah, yeah, Jay, but let's discuss cetera, that because pretty, Oklahoma is one loose. of those states. Oklahoma has a statute that says foreign entities cannot own farmland in the state of Oklahoma. They're getting around it. There are yeah. people buying land left and right over $100 million that I personally know about, and they're paying for it with $100 bills, cash. Yeah. And they put a yeah. grow house on it so that they get a farmland exclusion right away. They're going around those state laws. That needs to be fixed. I I, I can't agree more. We should play by the rules we set and, and fix them. But anytime you make a set of rules, let's be honest. I mean yeah. – um, yeah. If you make a set of rules, somebody's going to go around them, and they're going to hire somebody smart uh, like Greg to to sit and look at that whole thing and say, "Okay, how can we how can we get around it?" I'm not that's not pointing a finger at Greg, but there there's a lot of people in the world that'll help you figure that out next. Well, let's you know? be clear: I am not a lawyer. Thank God, he's not. <laughs> have plenty of those in Washington. Yeah. They're like cat hair. You can walk across the top of them. That's Jay. part of the problem here, folks. Let's be clear. Greg Dowd's an economist, which means next year could be really good in the beef business because we have a high demand around the world and we have a shortened, tighter supply. But input costs, on the other hand, could be out of hand and the profits could be less than they were. So he's an other hand right. economist. That's what he is. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That, that yeah. is the famous I, story. Yeah. My, my yeah. first boss you, in DC. You taught me well. 
semester short of a PhD in ag economy. He goes, Dad, I'm going to get me a one-armed economist so we can't ever say, well, on the other hand. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> okay. On the other hand, uh, I want to shift back to infrastructure because Greg was willing to join me on the air quite a bit when the massive infrastructure uh, development in the pork business was taking place. And we saw domestic investment in which was, has not been happening. This week, it was announced that it might have been last week, but in the last seven days, it was announced that Warren County, Missouri is going to get a new beef plant. American Foods owns that. Uh, in my home state of Nebraska, there's a group of cattlemen that are going together to produce something that I'm very concerned about that I don't think they should be doing. But there, and we see local lockers expanding and developing. There is a growth in the infrastructure of the beef business, Greg. So that's all good. Um, I have one word, a one word response to that that I'm going to say multiple times just for effect. Labor, 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 labor. Right. Yeah, I heard, I, I, I heard one of the existing beef plants in my local area, which I have two within an hour of me. Uh, one of them yesterday was talking about, if you come to work for blank, 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 we will pay you $20, $25.30 an hour plus a $5,000 signing bonus. I'm thinking, why am I feeding cows? <laughs> Right. Nah, it, it's I not think it's real though, though. right? And, and I, I, I talked. Go, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say to add to your list, I talked to another uh, um, uh, group of investors uh, just this week that really want to try to locate and build another high, a high end plant. They, uh, they are looking at like an art city um, type facility that's even more cutting edge than what that one ever dreamed of being um, yeah. a German style uh, uh, slaughter facility. And, and they, they were talking to me about places that they wanted to put it. And, uh, and it was clear that they hadn't thought this through very well. Right. <laughs> and that they haven't asked some of the most basic questions and uh, uh, like putting it near where the cattle are. And uh, instead of trying to uh, freight all the cattle to them, and they were trying to split the difference in the marketplace and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right? well, put it where the corn is because where the corn grows, everything else comes along. We got to take a break. I want to remind you about nitric oxide and the time to be healthy, as healthy as possible. Build that immune system, increase your blood flow. It all comes back to nitric oxide. Dr. Nathan Bryan has all of the science. Go to NO2U. Dot com. N-O, the letter. No, that's a number. The number two, U, the letter, dot com. Put Trent as your coupon code. You pay no shipping. You get free shipping, plus you get a 10% discount. It's all about nitric oxide. Study it. Take it. I've done it for 18 years. Back to the last segment. And Beef Infrastructure 101 after this. Welcome so back. Roll so, Dave, I want to I want to take your comment in a couple different directions here because I think these are important comments. Number one, with regard to inflation, when you take that labor rate from twenty to twenty five dollars an hour, what's the key point here? It is not going back. When you change labor rates like that, that is permanent inflation. I see some economists using this term stagflation, which means that you have inflation with stagnant wages. Let's be clear, that is not what this is. Wages are going up, and that will be a permanent fixture in terms of cost structure for everybody involved that we will have to deal with 
going forward in the future. The other, so I'll, I'll let you react to that. And then there's one other point on infrastructure I want to make that's really interesting. I don't know how anybody can respond to that. We, there's no doubt they're not going to go back. It, it's going to be built into the system, which is going to be part of the cost of food inflation. No, we, I, I, I mean, I have, I kind of have a different concern that I'm not for sure that we've gotten close to this wage number yet because we for sure haven't tempted people to get off of their lazy butts and go back to work. Uh, in a lot of communities, uh, especially, I mean, uh, big cities and small, small cities uh, alike, you can look around everywhere you go across America. Again, I'm, I, I mean, I just drove across a pretty interesting swath of the, the Midwest over the last couple of days. And everywhere you look, people are looking for somebody to go to work and they're paying um, the kind of wage rates that uh, that. Uh, my company pays in, in Dallas, Texas, um, for, for labor. And, um, they're still not getting it. You stop and talk to them. And, uh, I stopped at a restaurant. They can't get a waitress to come in because she took a job, um, working at someplace else for $8 an hour more than what she could ever make there. Right. Hey, uh, uh Rockport, Missouri coming home from Illinois this week, they got the best chicken tenders in the trip. And they had no chicken in their gas station because it said, due to labor shortage, we are not opening the deli. Yeah. yeah. You see it all the time. <clears throat> all right. So all with the labor time. shortage, so, in, so there, in ta- oh, go ahead, Greg. There, there's one other point here I want to transition to on infrastructure, though. And Trent, you alluded to, you made this comment, well, you go where the corn is. And and you, there, where do you build that facility and how you do this? That's correct. So to grow hogs you have to have three things, right? You have to have feed or corn, soybean meal, and water. That's the three things that you have to have. Now, what I want everybody to watch, what is happening now in the United States in agriculture is a thing called renewable green diesel. We've all heard of renewable green diesel, and we see ADM building new crushing facilities next to retrofitted oil refining operations that Marathon has up in North Dakota. And they're putting that package together for the soybean oil, not for the meal, for the oil to make renewable green diesel. Because again, just like Prop 12, you have mandates out in California for renewable green diesel. Government driven situation in the marketplace. Here's the question that I have. If you're gonna do all that, what are you gonna do with all that soybean meal? You're either going to export it off the West Coast or you're going to move some hogs closer to it, maybe? Well, there's a couple people thinking they're going to put it into a burger and sell it to people. Or you could, the other thing you can do is actually, the problem with soybean meals, it's not very shelf stable. It doesn't store very well, but you could pelletize it and make it a lot more stable and that. That, you know, adds cost, but it also gives you more marketing opportunities as well. This this is a really interesting conversation going on in agriculture right now, because this is this is going to change things quite a bit in terms of basis levels for feed costs. Uh, you know, your soybean oil driving the value of the crush. That's never happened before. Jay, as you know, in 70 years of crushing soybeans, right. you, that's laughable, but it's real now. And it's happening. Yeah, it's. And there's. Uh, I think we're talking about renewable green diesel. Uh, 
processing capacity on the drawing board that's something like three times our domestic soybean oil production, Trent. Hmm. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, uh, the demand is going to far outseed the su- supply. We've, it, this has all got to be rationalized. And uh, it, if, if you're going to have that government mandate, people are going to produce to the mandate just like we're going to make eggs to the mandate. It's it's no different. Yeah. All right. Before we run out of time here, I thought somebody would uh, kind of get on me about my little statement of my concern about the North Platte cattleman invested plant that's in the process of being built or being planned. And Jay referenced Arc City. Um, that, too, was started by a group of cattlemen who thought that they wanted to do, we were in the same position that we're in today, wanted to make sure we had an increased infrastructure, and they tried to build something to compete with the global entities that know how to do it at a size and scale that at that level. I, I made that statement that I, I feel like what's being proposed in North Platte is just playing into somebody coming in and consolidating them up. There's no niche aspect of it. What Jay was talking about in the German high-end thing, at least there's a niche. At least there's something the cattleman can tie onto. You as a cattleman cannot go into the commodity beef business and compete and investing in a plant of that size and not offering a niche. I just don't see it as a good thing for the future for cattlemen. It's kind of a different discussion, but let me just say this. I think it's a horrible idea to go into business for revenge or, or to try to hurt well, the competition unless ex- your desire. Uh, d- that's you, exactly you what's be, happening, Jay. Yeah. If you want to be in the packing business, I encourage people. And I've had this conversation with some of those, several of these groups. If you want to be in the packing business, great. I, I admire the, 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 the drive to be able to do that, but you need to do it knowing that, um, that your end goal needs to be to make money or you won't be in the packing business in a couple of years. And, and, and I know we've had this conversation. Everybody looks around and they ha- we, we, uh, this will, this will get you some calls and I'm sorry, Trent, but uh, everybody that looks at Packer margins and thinks that there's some kind of magic solution. If there, if Packer margins really were the numbers that have been reported over the last couple of years consistently, venture capital would be flowing into building pack. We'd have a packing plant, and in every corner of America, if we have more packing really plants than ethanol plants, yeah. And so, with 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 that said, it's a tough business, right? And there's there's just a few ingredients in that business, really. That that you got to well, buy cattle up, it, uh, at a, the right price. You got to sell the meat. Both of those are tough businesses to be competitive with people in. And and Greg's point. In the midst of right in the middle of that, then you have this labor thing, right? That yeah. can can and for many people is a nightmare. I, I can get you. Tw- hold on, Greg, just a sec. I can get you twelve dairymen who started up their own little either cheese plant or their local milk plant that all went into the marketplace, and they were they had the DFA would come in there and undercut them long enough so that they couldn't continue to sell their product. Yeah, the, these the big entities simply create an unfair price competitive point at the retail side until you can't take it anymore. Then they swallow you up. That's what happens. That's e- economics, Greg. Agreed. But you know it's going to happen. Yeah, that's all true. The other thing is is with these kind of if these margins are really sustainable and, and they're not, 
on the packing side. There is every incentive for these processors to run that plant at 110% of capacity and operate it day and night, 24-7. The problem is they can't because they don't have the labor on a second shift or whatever they need to do to do that. And that's what the bottleneck is. It's labor. It's not okay, I, I, and I'm not speaking for Greg Dowd or Jay Truitt in this statement. I'm speaking for Trent. I am not sitting here saying that we should not invest in packing, that we should no, not invest in value added. I am saying do not invest in something that's not going to be around long term. Do it in a niche kind of way where you can add the value, capture the value, and do it on a more of a regional basis. That'll be a home run. Don't do it and try to go compete with Tyson. You can't well, do that. I, I, J- Trent, I say invest in it, go for it, do it. And just like uh, Jay's neighbor out in Missouri, in a few years, I'll buy it if you're not successful, whatever you built for 50 cents on the dollar, and then I will be successful. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, and I think that's that's the real conversation, right? Uh, w- when you look when you look at the history, the history in our industry of, uh, of plants, basically they don't become profitable till right before you've depreciated everything out of them. Yep. Uh, it takes about 20 years and four owners uh, to actually make those things actually function profitably. That's a sad, that's a sad conversation about the way we've structured uh, all the different industries involved in agriculture, <laughs> but it is what it is. And, and it is that isn't just meat. That's ethanol. You name it, whatever it is, it works. Whether it's building houses or whatever it is, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's, sim, it's similar. Restaurants, banks. Uh, yeah, uh, Greg, we have a minute and a half, so I got to be careful when I turn you loose here. We've been <laughs> talking about the meat side. You mentioned the renewable green diesel and what that means. We have the infrastructure for ethanol production that I don't think we're tapping into at the moment probably because of high corn prices, but we know that we have crippled the infrastructure of oil. Isn't it a good time to be in the ethanol business? Wouldn't they have the whole wide open field in front of them? Ethanol pr- production margins are enormous right now. They, those guys are doing really, really well. The The challenge on ethanol is is less domestic demand, and so we're trying to push more exports. To do that, you've got to have other countries that have the infrastructure. And there are a lot of countries right now, China being one of them, I, in my opinion, saying, well, do I want to build ethanol infrastructure or do I want to just go to electric vehicles and kind of jump over it from, uh, you know, copper wire telephones to cell phones? It's the same kind of conversation. And that's that's really an interesting question that nobody seems to know the answer to. Uh, I'll answer it. Stick your electric vehicle where the sun don't shine. <laughs> How about that for some energy, Jay Truitt? All right, forty-five seconds, Jay. No, I. Uh, so I'm. I'm going to be one of those crazy guys out in the middle of uh, nowhere that buys a a Tesla truck as soon as they're available. But I'll do it because I don't have to actually make a living with that truck anymore. And I don't. I'm not for sure where that technology uh, ends up going in the future. But um, I. I see us in this blended in this blended world, right in the future. I think there's there's room for all of that to work, and uh, whatever is the most economical for people at the end of the day, that's what will win, uh, honestly. And yeah. it always does. I mean, in the it, end, unless you're trying to comply with Prop 12 in California, which is going to push economics out the window, beware uh, of the government yeah. mandate. Yeah, but a gov- but a government mandate is real. 
right? And That's and right. we keep asking the government to fix stuff. And as long as we keep asking them to fix it, they will try and they will screw it up every single time. That's directly and, from the lobbyist side of me. Always expect them to do it wrong. And that is the perfect place to say we've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America for J. Truett, Greg Dowd, Trent Luce, all three of us remind you all roads do lead to a roll route.